Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. I'm Chris. And this week, we are going to be looking at Harry Potter through the theme of personhood. Are there any areas where you struggle to see the personhood of other people in our society? (laughs) Never. Me? (laughs) Uh, yes. People who I very much disagree with their opinions or ideologies, I do have a hard time. I guess not just lumping everybody into one category of this is terrible and these people are terrible and they're doing all of this violence and hatred and, you know, these things to these disenfranchised groups, you know? Mm -hmm. So it is hard for me not to, like, lump everyone together. Mm -hmm. And obviously with the more destructive outcome from people's opinions or actions the more I would do that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah, it's it's difficult not to kind of write people off, especially if you, you disagree with them. I think an interesting one right now is with, like, the white nationalists and the KKK and, and all these people who are on the resurgence. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you see how sometimes they'll get a more eloquent member or, or speaker who starts getting more traction and more kind of attention because he's almost seen as like, oh, look, he's a normal person who thinks these things, or he's an eloquent person or an intelligent person who thinks these things. I say Mm -hmm. he because it is almost always a he, by the way. (laughs) Um, Try to use gender pronouns, but here, or or, gender neutral pronouns, but here it's kind of necessary. But I think that that's an interesting thing because those more quote unquote eloquent speakers start making you feel like there's a little bit more kind of personhood or humanity to those people who have obviously inhumane views but that it it starts kind of giving them a bit more more of a modicum of respect and well I think that we definitely want to maintain that personhood that respect is not necessarily how far you want to go with it yeah absolutely you don't need to have respect for people who you think are doing terrible things or have terrible views does that mean you treat everybody disrespectfully? No, but there's to me there's a difference between having respect for somebody and treating someone disrespectfully. Right. And a middle ground right? between the two. Yeah. So I think personhood would be that I, I don't even know. When it when it comes to super hateful things, it, it's it's hard for me to even really understand yeah, where different in-betweens are. Well, for personhood people should still be able to like give their opinions and things like that but then there's problems when that's like hate speech and Mm. you know stuff like that so just it gets very complicated yeah absolutely and even more complicated when you're dealing with magical creatures (laughs) more i don't know (laughs) (laughs) well we'll we'll see today i suppose yeah so that's a great way to move into our quote for today which is by Hagrid and he's talking about hippogriffs when he's teaching his care of magical creatures class and he's just explaining that a bit in the prisoner of Azkaban. You always wait for the hippogriff to make the first move Hagrid continued. <laughs> what, what something funny? <laughs> just your Hagrid voice. <laughs> it's polite see you walk towards him and you bow and you wait. If he bows back you're allowed to touch him. If he doesn't bow, then get away from him sharpish, because those talons hurt. Thank you for that, Chris. My pleasure. 
<laughs> I feel like this quote should also just apply to women. Like, this is how men should approach women. <laughs> they bow. bow. Eyes up here. Yep. Eye contact. Yes. You keep the eye contact. <laughs> if you blink or look southwards, they won't trust you. And if they bow back, okay, now you can, like, talk to them and engage. Mm-hmm. If they don't, get away fast. Mm-hmm. And even though it's not in this quote, if you start insulting them yeah. and then they scratch you with their talons, like, you still deserve that. Yeah. <laughs> They're not liable for that no, one. No, not at all. <laughs> But no, I think this is actually a really great quote for this because it shows, I think, one of the unique and amazing things about Hagrid is that, yes, sometimes he goes too far with it, but he sees creatures as people, you know? Mm -hmm. He gives them so much respect from the beginning. And for him, this is so basic, the idea of hippogriffs being people being things to consider how they think about you and, and and to treat them with respect throughout so much so that yeah he allows a group of what 13 year olds to deal with these animals as if they understand how to treat them with respect which clearly at least one of them doesn't yeah for sure and i and i think it's interesting because he even uses the word polite mm-hmm. and i think polite has to do with personhood right you you don't really need to treat other things politely. Yeah, I, I don't. You know? <laughs> as much as I love our cat, we I don't treat her very politely. <laughs> Especially when she's... Oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like, Kitty, why are you running in front of my foot? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> she rarely does that. No, no, she's luckily. great. But but yeah, it's it's that idea of politeness is not something that we, we tend to afford to animals. And... Yeah, or our cars. <laughs> exactly. Um... <laughs> So I think, yeah, I think this is an interesting quote to start us off with because it shows someone who who gives personhood so freely and so easily as a, a it's just a really interesting, interesting starting point. Yes, definitely. Well, you brought a character, did you not? I did. So I want to talk about Creature. Okay. And I think in a way he actually has some of the most personhood of any of the house elves in Harry Potter. Mm. Because people don't like him specifically for his opinions, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, while other magical creatures are judged by their actions, even like Buckbeak, right? It was like, he did this thing, uh, which hurts a person, so now he's liable for this. With Creature, it's just, even if actions aren't involved, it's just his opinions specifically that people don't like, and he's judged by those opinions. Mm. And so I think that that makes him really complicated, uh, probably the most complicated magical creature or um, house elf in Harry Potter, mm-hmm. which also kind of makes it really sad when you think about it that his personhood is pretty much overruled the most mm-hmm. to treat him more like a servant because he's forced to do all the time things that he doesn't want to do. He's not allowed to keep like sentimental mementos for him, even if it's like, okay, you like people who are pretty evil. It's just the things are just tossed out and it's like it makes him distraught, but it doesn't matter. And then obviously with the most traumatic experience of that would be with Regulus, mm-hmm. right? Forcing him to, to give him the poison and he was doing it to save him, but a person gets to make that decision on their own, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas he 
wasn't afforded decision-making capabilities. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think Creature is a great example of it because, yeah, when you look at Dobby, Dobby is wonderful, but Dobby mm-hmm. doesn't go through character growth or he doesn't, doesn't really examine his opinions beyond just he was, you know, brought up this way by this terrible family and now he thinks this other thing, you know? And, like, that's mm-hmm. kind of it. It's, it's, a, it's, it's more like he's defined by not being the norm, but it's still a very static kind of person mm-hmm. that he is. And he just transfers all of his devotion and really ever has that devotion to Harry. Mm-hmm. But Creature, you earn his devotion, you know? Mm-hmm. Harry actually earns it by, by not only being kind, but but understanding what he values and that, that is being Regulus, you know, and what Regulus mm-hmm. did for him. And, and I think that that is really powerful. It's one thing that, that kind of has always made me feel a little unease is how Harry treats Creature uh, in book six in particular, mm-hmm. where he like forces him to, to follow Malfoy and then forces Dobby to watch him. Dobby is right there willing to do this, willing to make this choice to do this this task. But you're still forcing Creature to do this thing that he literally would want to do the opposite. He'd want to help Malfoy in this situation. And that is enslavement. That's yeah. exactly what that is at that point. And that's not Harry treating Creature like a person. That's mm-hmm. tre- ha- treating him like a tool. And it's a, not only terrible in general, but when he has Dobby there willing to do that as well... It makes me feel like he's not treating either of them like people. He's treating Mm -hmm. them both that way. Dobby is a willing tool and Creature is an unwilling one. But if he was really hoping for this this to happen with people who who agree with him or believe in him or want to help him, he should just be turning to Dobby and asking him to do this thing, not Mm -hmm. this kind of forced servitude that he's forcing on Creature and Dobby as well. Well, and that's the thing. With even Dobby, he never really treated him super well. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, you brought me a Christmas gift. I guess I have these old socks you can have. You know, like he put no effort into it at all. When Dobby has, you know, helped him in countless times mm-hmm. and, and eventually, you know, dies for him. Yet it seems like Hermione's, you know, the only one who not with necessarily house elves in general, mm-hmm. but with particular house elves, you know, has is able to see their individuality and, like, give Creature, like, a Christmas present things that she... Like, she's trying, even if she doesn't do things in the right way. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I think that that makes a difference. But also, I think it's interesting that Harry starts changing a bit towards creature once this humanizing aspect comes out mm-hmm. of of this traumatic past and and i think that's yeah i think that's part of what humanizes people kind of going back to the beginning of our our episode with people whose also opinions we think are terrible and whatnot but i think it's the humanizing that allows us to see personhood when people struggle with similar things or people have losses and and whatnot so yeah 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 really good point thank you well what is your plot so my plot is in regards to basically the centaurs in order the phoenix and how the centaurs have kind of their their own issues going on with Grop and with friends and all this kind of stuff, and then how they're used at the end in order to basically 
get rid of umbrage, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that it's interesting because the centaurs themselves challenge Hermione for basically using them as a way to get rid of umbrage, right? Mm -hmm. Using them as kind of a tool. And I think that's it's a fair criticism. I think that, that Hermione wasn't going in thinking of them that way. But she was going in thinking these centaurs will do this thing that we can't do, regardless of what damage that will bring to the centaurs, because she is a a powerful, both magically and politically, witch who Mm -hmm. can bring a lot of of problems to the centaurs based off of any kind of conflict that occurs. True. And Although I wonder how powerful she is. We never even see her teach any magic. Maybe she has no skills. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I, where am I getting that idea that she's a powerful witch? Interesting. It might just be from the scene in The Cursed Child where she kind of mm-hmm. like shows magical power and then Snape takes her out anyway because Snape's the best. <laughs> in The Cursed Child, at least. But, uh, yeah. Okay, interesting. But either way, she, like... She could definitely bring down political issues to bear, you know? If it wasn't for Fudge and her losing their jobs at the end of that book, I imagine that if 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 Hermione and Harry had failed, you know, or Voldemort hadn't come out and been found, I don't know if the centaurs would have just been able to continue on as they were. And so I think this is a really interesting kind of gray area in how characters that both are typically ones who see the personhood in people, like Hermione or even Hagrid, and those who obviously don't, like Umbridge, mm-hmm. how they're kind of seeing the centaurs and how the centaurs are responding and how they're they're seeing other centaurs, like friends who are more more willing to work with humans and humans as well. So I just think there's a lot a lot there that I think is very, very fascinating when it comes to the ideas of personhood. Yeah, it's interesting because it seems like Umbridge wouldn't see their personhood at all, mm-hmm. right? And then there would be others who would see their personhood but still not think of them as equals. Mm -hmm. And then there would be other people like Hermione who would see their personhood, maybe think of them as equals, but still be willing to use them in an emergency situation. Mm -hmm. And then there's people like Dumbledore who seems to have respect and an honor for their culture. Mm Mm-hmm. Although he still does put Ferenz in danger mm-hmm. for his own means. Obviously, I think he would have explained everything to Ferenz. Right. And Ferenz knew what he, the decision he was making mm-hmm. and the fact that it would cause him to basically be banished from the center community. So, yeah, I think it's interesting how different characters have kind of a different level of understanding and interaction with it. Agreed. And I, and I think that, that Grop does kind of complicate the situation as well because Hagrid mm-hmm. brings Grop in because he believes so much in the personhood and the humanity of Grop. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, gets into a fight with the centaurs because he's bringing this thing into what is essentially their land, their territory, and in a way that they're saying he shouldn't do, you know? <laughs> I like how you just called Grop a thing. <laughs> it's true. Clearly, I'm not seeing Grop as, as enough of a person. But yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting dynamic because, like, they even see, I think, that, that Harry mentions or the narration that mentions that Harry's never seen Hagrid look so, like, angry and... almost vicious before since except for that that fight with the centaurs right and i think that's really interesting because i feel like hagrid would typically be the kind of person who you think would get along best with them but there's still that that conflict there when he's kind of blinded by his own his own desires he 
doesn't respect their territory. He doesn't respect their land and the claim that they have on it, which to me is kind of a lessening of, of, is a lessening of kind of their personhood to him. Well, yeah, and it's putting them in direct danger, Mm -hmm. right? And I think it brings up an interesting idea of when somebody's particular interests in the personhood of one group override the personhood of another group. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's... Hopefully we can find solutions where that doesn't have to be the case. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's my plot. Well, I have a compelling question for you. Bring it. How do you think horcruxes fit in with the idea of personhood? Ooh, interesting. Yes. Well, I see definitely two kind of sides of there. Because one of it is just the fact that these horcruxes gain a kind of sentience, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether even if it's a reactive one, but the diary especially really seems to gain its own kind of 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 personhood uh, of individuality beyond just Voldemort as a whole and I think that's really interesting Riddle even like the riddle from the diary even says like he refers to Voldemort as a third person figure he doesn't say Mm -hmm. me you know he he continually sees even himself and talks about himself as separate Mm-hmm. And I think that's very, very interesting. But then beyond that, there's the added element where two of the Horcruxes are sentient beings. And that is also very fascinating. Because, yeah, is that then, are there competing individuals within Harry, for example? Is that is he two people that are sharing a body? Or is he, because if, if Horcruxes have a kind of personhood themselves, then would that be true? Mm-hmm. And when you destroy a hor- Horcrux, are you then actually killing you know, and exactly. is that is that is that a kind of murder, which obviously is maybe for the best if this is going to stop much more violence. You know, that is a very intense moral quandary. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's very, very fascinating. What were you thinking? I was thinking of some of those things. I was thinking about, yeah, does Harry have two personhoods? Is one influencing uh, the other or vice versa? Mm-hmm. Because if we think of Harry, I think the temptation would to be to think, oh, the Horcrux personhood is influencing Harry's. Mm-hmm. But what about the reverse, mm-hmm. right? Could Harry's personhood influence the Horcrux personhood? Mm-hmm. And that would be interesting because, yeah, I wonder, is the piece of the soul so connected to the original person that it can't really change or can it change? Hmm. And I also wonder, what if somebody, say, accidentally killed someone Mm -hmm. and made a horcrux? Hmm. Would their horcrux be extremely different than Voldemort's? Would they not be like these like an evil object or an evil whatever they put the well i wonder if you even could do that because from what i understand you build a horcrux because you've splintered your soul by intentionally murdering someone like you have did it ever say intentional it didn't say intentional but that's the way i always see it because and that's that's the way i see it now because i think that an accident that necessarily that doesn't necessarily mean that you are splitting your soul that you're doing something terrible right Mm -hmm. you've done something that has had terrible results and i'm sure that you feel guilt about it hopefully but i think that that the idea of it being murder rather than killing someone is the important thing that you are actually murdering someone you are premeditatively or in some way choosing to 
kill this person. And that is what hurts your soul as well. Mm -hmm. I guess I wonder if there would be more than one way to split the soul. Hmm. Could guilt do that? And that that's, I think, an interesting, an yeah. interesting question. Because, yeah, I could see maybe after you've, you've, you've killed someone accidentally, could you create a kind of horcrux that is, is, has different properties or is made in a different way just by using the best of that ability? Yeah, that's very, very interesting. Is it compelling? It is compelling. <laughs> it is that thing. Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully we'll never have to find out in our own lives. Yeah. All right, well, well my question for you is how do you see the ability to communicate granting personhood in Harry Potter? Yeah, I was actually thinking about that a little bit because it seems like people in the Harry Potter world would view house elves and goblins with personhood, but like, yeah, not necessarily equal, but they would, because they can communicate verbally, it would be more assumed. Mm -hmm. But when, yeah, you get to like hippogriffs and other types of magical creatures that can't communicate in the same way, then... Yeah, I, I would think that the magical community would view them as, would, would have a, at least a much harder time accepting their personhood. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, obviously we see that with Buckbeak, but it, at least added onto that with snakes, the fact that some people can communicate with them via parcel tongue. You know, what, is, what does that mean? But it's kind of seen as this evil thing, mm -hmm. right? And so also with the new Fantastic Beasts series, we're seeing a lot more creatures and their potential personhood. Um, and, and they don't communicate verbally either. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see where they take this new series on that front. It doesn't seem like a big focus, but it'll be interesting to see if they kind of bring that out a little bit more. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I think that in general, people would kind of see things that way. But obviously, I think that that's super ableist because like in our society, it's seen that way too. It's like, oh, well, if it's an animal that isn't a human because they can't communicate the same way we have like domination over them and we can do whatever we want with them, whether it's training them for shows or separating them from their communities or their their babies or whatnot or eating them or whatever it's like we just view them as entirely other but there are people who can't communicate mm -hmm. either and whose ability don't allow them to do things as you know the stereotypical norm able-bodied person and yeah, it's just, I think it's ableist to view things that way. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. I think it's a, it's an interesting question for a lot of the points that you mentioned. I think that, that yeah, snakes in particular are an interesting element of that because mm. Harry knows that snakes can talk. Snakes can even joke, right? With the <laughs> adios amigo. Like yeah. that is a... Bad joke. A, oh, a snakes terrible joke. Snakes can make bad jokes. Absolutely. <laughs> but like, I think that... Uh, I think that it's very interesting because, yeah, Harry has the ability to communicate with these animals and he never once tries to do so with Nagini, you know? Mm -hmm. He never once sees her as more than a horcrux or a dangerous creature. I yeah, think why not be like, hey, friend, 
let's chat. Why are you doing this? I mean, obviously it didn't seem to work with the basilisk. Mm -hmm. Because he did try, didn't he? Or did he not try and Vertle just said it's not going to work? I don't... Because he only responds to me. I don't remember even if if that happened. He did say something about, like, you know, Parcel Tongue can't save you or something. Interesting. Maybe, yeah. But, yeah, so I I think it's it's interesting knowing that, that they can communicate in some way. That that doesn't necessarily make them more of a person than, for example, Buckbeak, who Mm -hmm. Buckbeak cannot use words to communicate with Harry, but by bowing and by doing these other things, like you can get it, Buckbeak's kind of feelings about things, and it's given kind the kind of respect that most other creatures are not in Mm -hmm. the the thing. And then when we talk even about mer people, right? Another form of what Umbridge would call subhumans, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that the Ministry calls subhumans right that can communicate in some ways obviously Dumbledore can apparently speak mermish um (laughs) and maybe if anyone can as long as you're underwater I don't know how magic works I just think that that yeah there's a lot of compelling issues with language and with these different groups because what if you're talking to house elves from France does that make them seem less human because they're talking in their own language yeah because they're exactly (laughs) like they're talking in their own language and you're not able to see that you know or the vila for example like the vila probably speak their own language we never hear them talk we never hear the leprechauns talk right how sentient are they Mm -hmm. well and also the interesting thing is when you speak parcel tongue you sound like a snake Mm -hmm. right and so it's like the precedent seems to be, oh, well, these beings need to learn how to speak English or whatever mm. human language you're speaking to be, you know, to have personhood, rather than we should learn how to speak these other creatures' language, right? And so I think, one, that's ridiculous. And two, yeah, with Harry having that ability, why don't he just, like, get a pet snake? That'd be cool. Right? I mean, I like Hedwig, but, like, you can talk to this snake. Like, that's awesome. And it just also makes me think of animals as a whole in that world. Like, how intelligent are the animals in that world? Is someone a kitty tongue where they can talk to cats? Because I want that power. Exactly. I need that power. (laughs) (laughs) And so, does every cat have the ability to have a conversation the way snakes can in Harry Potter that like they just don't have someone who can talk to them like these Mm -hmm. these are my questions well and in our own world kitties are trying to speak our language that's true because they don't talk to each other that way (laughs) or other creatures that way meows are invented to talk to humans yeah they're trying why aren't we trying I mean we meow at our cats (laughs) 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 (sighs) well what is your missed opportunity so my missed opportunity is about goblins. Mm. So we know many of them work at Gringotts. We mm-hmm. know that there were several goblin rebellions, as they're called, which is obviously very people-centric. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. So I really wish that I knew how the ministry justified their restrictions on goblins like wand use and things like that and then what other kinds of things that they banned relating to their community Mm -hmm. because like are they allowed to work at other jobs outside of Gringotts or you know like all of these questions I mean clearly they can do some like blacksmith work Mm -hmm. right because they forge the sort of Godric Gryffindor and whatnot but 
Yeah, I just, there's so many questions around that, and it's, like, mentioned in passing with the History of Magic class, but it's just not gone into, and I think that it would, yeah, it would have been really fascinating. I mean, it's touched on, right, with how Griphook is treated and, and whatnot, and what he wants, and he's like, hey, this sword should go back to our community because we're the ones who made it, uh, and stuff. And so, yeah, I just, I wish there was more there. Because you would think of goblins and be like, oh yeah, totally, they have personhood and, you know, they work at this bank and they can control the money and blah, blah, blah. But, like, they're still not treated as equal to humans. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. Especially because goblins as the, you know, proprietors of Gringotts means that they have a lot of control over property. Mm -hmm. But they have different ideas of property and especially inheritance than mm-hmm. wizards do, you know, as shown with the sword, where where wizards think that, yeah, if you bought the sword from them, you own it, and when you die, you can give it back to whoever you want, mm-hmm. whereas the goblins are like, oh, no, once you die, it goes back to the maker, you know, apparently, yeah. ac- according to Griphook, at least. Mm-hmm. And so if that's true, it's interesting that the establishment that probably houses more property than anything else in the wizarding world is run by a group of people who have very different views of how property rights exist mm-hmm. than the mainstream wizarding community. And that, that that is very, very interesting. And so clearly, especially with, with the inability to use wands, there are still a lot of restrictions. And so this is silly, silly an unequal oppressive system that's mm-hmm. hierarchical with wizards at the top. Again, non-gender neutral programs, they're purposeful. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But uh, unfortunately. But... Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and I do wish that they could have done a lot more with that. And I like that they touched on it a little bit in the seventh book, but I think that's another thing that they, they leave kind of open-ended without a lot of real follow-through on. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, and so I think having mentioned so many times, like, the Goblin Rebellions in, what was it, the, four, the fifth book, I think? It's, like, mentioned a lot. Mm-hmm. I just, I wish there was more on that. Yeah. Well, my missed opportunity has to do with Aragog and the Acromantulas. Okay. It's, because this has been good. We, we've picked different magical creatures. Yeah, yeah, we have. That's, that's nice. I thought we might have a lot of overlap. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the thing with Aragog and the Acromantulas is that it's so disquieting to me that, first off, they go and talk to a giant spider, surrounded by <laughs> other giant spiders. On its Via own. your fear from the other episode. <laughs> yeah, right? That is my biggest fear. Not a fan. But the idea that at least the main one is entirely able to have full conversations with Harry and them and to understand English and to make complex decisions and things like that and have different priorities. And so there's this giant monster in the forest that has this kind of personhood, Mm -hmm. but also doesn't recognize the personhood of humans in that he's absolutely able to let these children be eaten by his children and grandchildren. I was like, well, you walked in here, so that was your own fault. I mean, (laughs) kind of true, but also, like, that's not not good neighbors. No, and and they they just said, hey, your friend sent us here in some trouble. We're trying to help him. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, he just sees them as potential food, mm-hmm. which is how we see many animals. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason I think this is a missed opportunity is because I wonder whether he is somehow special and the other Acumantulas can't speak. Like, mm-hmm. they don't have that same kind of 
full sentient if they are just giant spiders and not kind of giant sentient spiders the way he is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just I'm just unsure because I don't think they go into that at all, you know? Yeah, it'd be kind of interesting. Like, I wonder if they can speak. They just didn't care to speak to them. It's mm-hmm. like, whatever, we're going to eat you anyway. I'd rather not ask your name, mm-hmm. you know? But I think there are definitely times when you hear, like, more clicking based off of responses and things. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like they can at least understand. And mm-hmm. I think at least his mate has a name. So, like, there's mm-hmm. some there's some stuff going on, but just not a lot. Well, except for this extremely terrifying part in the second book of the series. <laughs> and then, like, when Aragog dies in book six, and Hagrid's sad about it. Mm-hmm. And, and Harry's able to utilize that to get Slughorn's memory. But mm-hmm. other than that, you don't really see a lot of what, what's happening there. And that's just... And then, uh, in the movies, at least, the Acromantulas fight alongside Voldemort. And mm-hmm. was that something that he, like, actually had negotiations with them? I don't know. There's just a lot there. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that that does lead to another interesting point about the different creatures that do fight in these last battles because it's Hippogriffs and Thestrals fight with the Hogwarts side. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you have giants and acromantulas and, you know, acromantulas and stuff fighting with Voldemort's side. So, yeah, it's like... Are some creatures just more evil than mm. others? Or are some creatures more interested in power than others? You know, like, what is it that's motivating these creatures some on the other side? Some are more interested in eating children, obviously. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, there's a lot of children in there. Yeah. Let's go with Voldemort. <laughs> He's going to let us eat them. Awesome. And he'll even kill them for us. <laughs> I don't like spiders. Neither do I. I don't like spiders at all, but I'm more scared of like real ones in my house that are much smaller. And you're more scared. Which don't of bother me as much at all. The idea of big ones. Yeah, where just I'm the like, idea of giant spiders. No, thank uh. you. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what's your takeaway? What is my takeaway? We talked about so many things. I think my takeaway is that I'm really glad that Harry Potter touched on a lot of the issues as much as they did in regard to personhood. Like, it's so much more than I think a lot of fantasy novel series or movie series do. So I really appreciate that and that J.K. Rowling made several of them have a very complicated, or had more complications uh, involved with with the different creatures and characters. But also with adding those things, it makes you want so much more. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I really appreciate it, but I also would appreciate more of it and like to actually have answers to some of our questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's really illuminating how I feel like most often the properties that utilize non-human characters to show conversations about personhood and and race and 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 all sorts of other issues and societal issues tend to be sci-fi more often than fantasy Mm. Uh, i think that sci-fi does that a lot more with kind of different worlds you know star trek star wars obviously you're dealing with these ai yeah yeah and i think that fantasy doesn't tend to do it to the same extent and so yeah it's really really nice seeing it done in this way and i think that the ties to the real world kind of bring that home even further the fact that harry was raised in the muggle world you know that he is always connected to the reader through that i Mm -hmm. think also adds an extra element of weight to these 
analogies for how people treat and see each other and animals and all sorts of other things um, in, in our society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, could you bring up what we'll be discussing next week? Yes. So we're going to be talking about Lord of the Rings and trust. Trust in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So be it. So be it. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media by searching for Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest. You can also go to our website, bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines, or go to our Patreon site at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines. You can also leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're getting your podcasts. And we trust that you will... (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) We trust that you will tell a friend or family member about it. That would be great. It'd make me feel like a person? (laughs) (laughs) oh no you took my bad thing you made it worse i made it so much worse (laughs) we also want to thank kimberly taylor prestel at lacelet for designing our logo you can find her at lacelet.com or on facebook or instagram by searching for lacelet with that we'll see you next week until then geek geek out. out